check. It was the sound guy. He was right. It was me. <laughs> Thanks, David. It was an accident. Well, good morning, family. You know, I, um, don't you need a, a, a touch and a filling from the Holy Spirit today? I mean, I love that. He's, he's doing it right now, actually, as we're here. He's, he's filling us with his presence, and, and we need that. I mean, we need that every, every moment of every day. So, Well, turn to your neighbor and say happy birthday. Just trust me. Trust me. Not all of you did it. It's okay. I'll let it slide. Um, I know you're going, it's not my birthday. Well, it, it is. It is Pentecost Sunday, right? Happy Pentecost Sunday. Happy birthday, church. Yeah. Amen. Amen. We're celebrating a birthday, aren't we? See, because here we are seven weeks after Easter, and we look back at Acts chapter 2, and the most amazing thing happened when the Holy Spirit fell upon a few guys in a room, and the world was changed forever, right? And the church was born, and the Holy Spirit, ever since that time, fills the followers and children of God and empowers us to do amazing things as a church. So it is, it is a happy birthday, and we celebrate Pentecost today, and we have a worship night tonight at 6 p.m., and I want to invite all of you to come to that as we continue to celebrate and to worship and to be together in fellowship as we celebrate the birth, the birth of the church, okay? So happy, happy Pentecost Sunday, happy birthday. Um, I don't think we have cake. Next year we'll get cake or something. It'll be, it'll be fun, right? Oh, yeah, there probably is. There's probably bread, the bread room, right? Birthday bread. Who knows the name of the series that we've been talking about? You can shout it out. Navigating Life in Babylon. Navigating Life in Babylon. I want to, we're going to continue this morning, and I want to maybe step back a little bit and just explain what that means, because maybe some still aren't quite sure. You know, what, what is Babylon? What is, what are, what does that mean to us? And th there's a couple layers to it, right? So, um, and some of this you may know, but bear with me, because I want to set the context. So in, in 586 BC, the children of Judah were taken captive. King Nebuchadnezzar came in and took the people away from their land, took them to Babylon. Like that, that, is a, that is a literal historical thing that actually happened to the Jewish people. Now, slight distinction, right? We, we talk about the nation of Israel, but at this time, if you guys remember, the nation was actually divided. There was a northern kingdom, Israel. There was a southern kingdom, Judah. And we talk about Israel being in exile in Babylon. Technically, it was Judah, right? It was the southern kingdom. Um, the Israelites actually, the northern kingdom was taken, taken uh, captive earlier uh, by the Assyrians, right? And that's probably going to be a, a series called Navigating Life in Assyria. I'm just kidding. Maybe. I don't know. But, but we're talking about the, the, the people of Judah taken captive to the land of Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar, right? And we look at that, and we, we see their story and the journey they went on for 70 years, right? But we also look at ourselves as the church, and we can draw all kinds of metaphors and parallels to what is happening to us in our current day, right? And when we talk, I mean, the, the Israelites, God's people, in the Old Testament, understand they were a forerunner to the church in the New Testament. Not, we didn't displace them or replace them. Actually, we were grafted into them, is what the Bible says. But we are the people of God, just like they were in the Old Testament. And we, too, kind of find ourselves in, in Babylon. Now, you might say, what does that mean in Babylon? I thought we live in America, right? Yeah, we do. But here's what Babylon represents, okay? Babylon represents to you and me a culture that's against God an anti-God culture, a culture that's flipped on its head where right is wrong and wrong is right, a culture that defies God and defiles God, 
Something this sound familiar? <laughs> yeah. And so we do, li- we do live in a current day Babylon. Right? It, it, it is true. And so when we look at these stories in the Old Testament, we see the word of God come alive and we see it apply to our lives and where we are today. Right? And that's what it is to talk about navigating life in Babylon. We have some stuff to navigate, you guys. There's, there's some tricky things going on these days in our nation, in our culture. So we have been exploring that the past several weeks and We've talked about finding refuge in God, and we've talked about how to raise families in Babylon, and we've talked about how to be separate and make a difference. And I'm going to pivot a little this morning and and talk to you about something maybe you don't expect, but I want to talk to you actually about the benefits of Babylon. I want to talk to you about the benefits of Babylon, because for for the child of God, Babylon is not actually all bad. In fact, uh, what comes out of Babylon is pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. There's, there's benefits and there's reasons and purposes. Because even in Babylon, guess what? God's plans are fulfilled and his promises are kept. And he's glorified and he's faithful. And even in Babylon, his children prosper and they succeed. And they bless the world. And we're going to talk about the benefits of Babylon. So as we do that this morning, I want you to bow with me in prayer just for a moment. Let's open our hearts to the word of God. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning and we pray that our eyes and our hearts would be open, that you would quicken our ears to hear what your spirit is speaking to us this morning, and that you would change our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's talk about Babylon. If you have an outline, you can follow along with me. Babylon represents a season of chastening. Okay, that's, that's the first fill-in on your outline. Now, you might not think that's a benefit. That doesn't sound fun, Right? Um, but I think this is important. When, when the children of Israel were carried off to Babylon, or when we wake up and find ourselves in a modern-day Babylon, I, I, I feel like there's one really important question we all should be asking, which is why are we here? How did we get here? Why are we here? I mean, they had a promised land. They had the God of the universe on their side. They were set up to succeed and to, and to thrive in a land and yet they find themselves taken captive to a distant land, you have to ask why. Something obviously went wrong somewhere, right? And so we have to start with why, and, and this, is, this is really why. Look, make no mistake that the children of Judah were in Babylon to be disciplined, to be, to be chastised, to be chastened, to grow. See, chastening, um, de- defined as this, to inflict suffering upon for purposes of moral improvement. That doesn't sound fun, <laughs> right? But it's good. In fact, the writer of Proverbs says it this way, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Believe it or not, it was God's love that these people ended up in this state of exile. And make no mistake about this either, they had it coming for a very, very long time. Okay, They didn't wake up one day and surprise, we're in Babylon. They ignored warning after warning after warning. They engaged in sin after sin after sin. They turned their back on God to idols. They adopted pagan rituals. They intermarried with people they weren't supposed to. They defiled God's word, his temple. They, I know we, we may want to feel sorry for them, but they had to come. And, and by the way, God was gracious to them over and over and over and over. He sent them warnings. He sent them prophets. You know, most of your Old Testament is, is warnings and prophecies and people going, this is going to happen. Turn back to God. Right? 
and, and, and they ignored. Not everybody, but, but mostly. And if you look at the kingdoms of Israel and, and Judah, there were more evil rulers than there were good. There were some good men. There were some good leaders. There were some moments of revival and some moments of turning to God. But by and large, you know what? Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And you read king after king who was evil, and this one was more evil than the last, and this was more evil than the last, and this downward spiral of this nation that was God's people, right, just deteriorating. They had it coming. They had it coming. It was a season of chastening for them. In fact, God really, I don't think, had a choice, at least according to the Bible. Second Chronicles 36, look at this, verse 15 says, The Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of God, the Lord, rose against his people till there was no remedy. There was, there was no other way that these guys were going to get back on track. There was no remedy. He brought against them the king of the Chaldeans who killed their young men with the sword and had no compassion on young man or virgin, the aged or the weak, gave them all into his hand. And all the articles from the house of God, great and small, this is tragic, you guys, were the, the treasure of the house and of his leaders, all these he took to Babylon. And they burned down the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all its palaces with fire, and, uh, and carried away to Babylon, um, where they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. And then verse 21, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, one of those prophets we talked about, right, until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. There, there was no remedy at this point. This was what had to happen. I want to explain that last verse to you real quick. It says that uh, fulfill the word of the Lord um, until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath. You know, one of the things that the, the children of Israel and Judah were commanded to do back in Leviticus was this. They would sow their land for, seven year, for six years, and the seventh year, you guys could probably guess, what, what do they have to do? Rest. They had to let the land rest. Um, this is just one example of just their disobedience. Guess what they were not doing? <laughs> they were not letting the land rest. And so apparently the only way for God to let the land rest was to get the people out of the land, Right? And so 70 years is not a random number. It is not some arbitrary number. It happens to be the number of Sabbaths that the land needed to enjoy that it never got. So that's, that's almost, what, 500 years of ignored, ignored Sabbaths that God's making up for. And that's where the 70 years comes from. Now, that's not the only reason that they got exiled to Babylon, but it, it is one of the reasons. I, mean, I just mentioned a few, right? The idolatry, the sin of the people, the evil and so they lost their land. They lost their land. Now, this is why they were in Babylon. They, they ended up in Babylon because of all these things, right? So what about us? What about us? Why are we here? What are we doing here? Well, why do we, the church, find ourselves in, the, in this, in this Babylon, Babylon? Well, I think we have our own, our own journey, too, and, and I... I think, if we're honest, we've seen some of the warnings too. I don't, are we, I mean, I don't think we woke up surprised all of a sudden today that, wow, look where we are. I think it sort of happened over time. And, and, it's, and it's not to say that we sit under the judgment of God, because we absolutely do not, right? We are, we are under the grace of Jesus Christ, and we say amen to that. That doesn't mean that we don't go through seasons of chastening, though. 
right? And I, th- and I think that we would agree this is probably one of them. I mean, we, we've seen the warning signs in our culture of, of prayer being taken out of schools and of God being removed from government and of, of, uh, of the church specifically, guys, if we're, if we're honest here, allowing sin. Come on. Tolerating sin, accepting lifestyles contrary to the word of God, disobeying God. Right? We've seen it happen. And things were just so good for so long, I don't think God had another choice. And here we are. Here we are. This is, this is, I believe this is true. This is my heart. Here we are in a season of chastening because I think that we fell asleep for a little bit. I think we did. And I'm not making this personal to you, all you in this room because maybe that's not true, but I, I, when I say we, the church as a whole, I think fell asleep a little bit. And there was no remedy but for this to happen. And so here we are. We find ourselves in this culture. We find ourselves, the people of God, not taken captive off to Babylon, but being engulfed by a Babylon culture right where we live. I mean, don't you guys see it every day? I see it every day around me. It's where we are. And we, if we ask why, then I think that's the honest answer, is we sort of let it all get here in a way, Right? And so maybe this is a season of, of chastening, and certainly I think it's a time for us to have a little bit of a wake-up call that we'll talk about. But here's the really, really good news, okay? That while Babylon represents a season of chastening, you know what else Babylon represents? Babylon can lead us to revival. I, I'm, in fact, I will, I will change that and say Babylon will lead us to revival. Babylon absolutely will lead us to revival, See, chastening is not a bad thing. It's a purposeful thing. There's a purpose in it. And it will lead us to revival, and I believe that with all my heart. And I want, look at the picture of the people of Judah when they returned from their exile compared to right before they went. I'll show you. Nehemiah 10, verse 28. Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the Nephinim, and all those who separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, everyone who had knowledge and understanding, these joined with their brethren and nobles and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his ordinances and statutes. We would not give our daughters as wives to the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. If the peoples of the land brought wares or any grain to sell on Sabbath, we would not buy it from them, on Sabbath or on a holy day, and we would forego the seventh year's produce and the exacting of every debt. Let me ask you a question. You think these guys ever didn't give the land its rest on another Sabbath after this? Maybe, but probably not. Probably not for a long time. They, they, right here, we would forego the seventh year's produce. I think they learned a lesson, right? The, this, the people, it's not that they returned perfect, but the people who returned to their land after exile was a different it was a different people. What? Why? Why were they different people? What happened? Babylon happened. That's the whole point. Babylon happened. See, nobody wants to be in Babylon, but sometimes we have to be in Babylon for things to happen. And they went into Babylon, into exile, as this sinful, defeated, divided, broken people. But I'll tell you that they came out very, very differently. Very differently. And you know, Israel has still, and uh, 
Israel, meaning the whole nation, right, has still had its issues to date. But do you know that if you look in Scripture, they never really returned to idolatry after this the way they had before. They really never defiled the name of God and the things of God as they did before. Sure, there's still sin and there's still things that happen, but God really used that time to deal with them as a people and to work some things out. And something significant changed in the hearts of those people while they were in Babylon. And they actually responded, I think, the way God wanted them to. God chastened them, and they were chastened. And you know how we know that is when Cyrus the Persian actually defeated Babylon and said, you may return to your land. You know what they did? They packed up their stuff, and they returned to their land, and they got straight to work. Straight to work. Um... The books of Ezra and Nehemiah are some of the most exciting books you will read in the Bible because there's a rekindled people with a fire they didn't have before that returned to their land and kind of saw things a little more clearly after that, a little more clearly. The temple was restored. The wall was restored. Worship was restored. Sacrifice was restored. They put away pagan rituals and idols. They put away intermarriage with the people. They, they revered the word of God. You know that they returned and after this temple, was, the foundation was laid and, and the wall was built. Remember the story? Weapons in one hand, right? Nehemiah. And swords in the, and, and tools in the other. Building the wall. Fighting off. This is not the same people carried off to Babylon with their heads down 70 years earlier. This is a, this is a different people. Actually, what's funny is in a literal sense, some were actually the same people. Right? They looked on the new temple they built and they wept. Because they said, it's nothing like the, it's nothing like the other one. Right? But it was something. It was an act of obedience. But in here, it was a different people. It was a different people. We see all these things restored. In fact, it says that there was a great, a great awakening at that time. There were, for almost an entire day, all they did was read the Bible and pray and confess and repent and worship and turn to God and renew their covenant with him. It's a different people. A very different people. And they, I don't think they were quite as comfortable with their state of sin as they were before. And maybe their necks were a little less stiff. Right? And so, I'll ask again, what about us? What about us? What is our purpose in this time of chastening? Well, I think we as a church find ourselves in a very um, interesting time in our culture. Because I, I think for us, mainstream Christianity is starting to feel less and less mainstream, if I'm honest. The things that we took for granted that were just basic things suddenly seem controversial, right? Things that, things that we just, just expected to be or thought, yeah, this is pretty clear, all of a sudden seem ambiguous for some reason or not clear. And we find ourselves in a, see, I think to a degree we too are maybe a little defeated, divided, broken, if we're honest, even as a church. And, and I, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that. I mean, the, we have some real divisions in the church today over some stuff that, that's very discouraging, right? It can be discouraging. I, I want to show you something, and I want to give you the backstory to this. And um, disclaimer, if you happen to get offended by anything over these next few minutes, it's okay. Um, <laughs> President Donald Trump decided a couple weeks ago after a game of golf to call up a pastor in a church in Virginia in the wake of the shooting at the municipal building and ask for prayer. 
Ask for prayer. Surprise visit. So the pastor, with very little time to decide and act, said okay. And the president came to his church, and he prayed for him. And I have the video, and I want you guys to watch with me what transpired in this video. And then I want to give you a little bit of my commentary for you and tell you why we're even looking at this this morning. So if we have the video ready, can we, can we play it real quick? Amen. Amen. Yeah, you can clap. Amen. 100% amen. Listen. That's Pastor David Platt at McLean Bible Church in Virginia, whom I applaud 100%. And I think he did, I think he did absolutely amazing, especially with 10 minutes notice that the president's going to show up at your door and he wants to be prayed for. Right? 
Let me share some, something I find absolutely ridiculous and sad. Do you know that this pastor, he, he, he did not apologize because he stands behind what he did. But do you know this pastor released a statement that said, I acknowledge that what I did was hurtful to some people in my church. And I just, he, just, he just wanted to acknowledge it. I, um, I think that really gives it a whole new definition to the term snowflake, in my opinion. I really do. Listen, and this is where I'm talking about offense. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm coming from love, not from anything else. But, but when I say our church is divided, this is what I'm talking about. A pastor in a Christian church praying for a sitting president who has to be prayed for. There is no controversy in this, folks. There is zero, con- there's no, con- it matters not what you think about Donald Trump. Nothing. This is not about a president and it's not about politics. It's about prayer. It's about prayer. And here, here's why I show this to you. How on earth are we going to see revival if the Christian church can't even agree it's a good thing to pray for a president? Right? How? How? I don't see how it's going to happen. And, and I, I have to say this, if any of this even offends you in this room, and looking around at the room, I don't think there's very many, if any, because I think most of you in this room probably support what just happened. But that is not indicative of all the churches in our country today. It, it's not even indicative of the church where this pastor pastors, <laughs> that everybody agreed. And the fact, that any, the fact that a sitting president would come and get prayed for, any Bible-believing, God-fearing Jesus-following person would be in their hands and feet about that, hands down, period, 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 right? And so this is what I'm talking about, that it is no exaggeration that our church is divided. And unless politics stops being an idol in our culture, in our church, how are we going to see revival? Revival takes unity among the church. It doesn't take a lot of people, but certainly there needs to be a group of people that are united. And... How sad that a church whose pastor prays, I mean, what does that tell you about the people themselves? There's a lot of people in that church that ain't praying for the president. What do you expect God to do if you're not even going to pray for people? Come on. And so, while disappointing, here's the thing. I know there's enough of us, and I know there's a remnant of us, and I see, I see that out of this season, you guys, there's going to be a revival. There's, listen, there is going to be a group of people in this country that understand what is going on in the spiritual realm and are going to lead a revival. I see the church, guys. I see the fire of the Holy Spirit. It's what the Bible promises is going to happen. It's what we're talking about today. It's the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon his people. But it requires a foundation, guys, that is not based on a political figure or a policy or not swayed by the fact that we're so polarized by what's going on. Listen, none of that matters it is about Jesus. He unifies all of us. All of us. That's what revival has to be based on. The word of God. The blood of Jesus. And so I, I see it happening. And this is God's ultimate plan as we are in this season. right? I'm guilty of this as much as maybe some of you. We sit around and we go, man, I want to leave California someday. It's just getting so bad. right? And, and I kind of feel God go, no. No, we need, to, we need to stay in California. If California is so bad, Paul, you need to change California. And church, if this area is so bad, we gotta change it. We gotta change it. We have to lead a revival. See, we don't just sit down and kind of fold our hands and go, Babylon stinks, and start pouting. If Babylon's so bad, guess what? God has us here to do something about it. He has us here to change it. 
And that's what we're called to do. And I encourage you in that, that in the season of chastening, guys, there is opportunity for us to change. God did something in the hearts of Judah in Babylon, right? In fact, I'll say it this way. He did something in Babylon that he couldn't have done in Judah. And he will do something in us in this season that he could not have accomplished if we did not get here. It was just too good. It was too good. It was too good for too long, right? And now it's bad, and now God wants to do something good through us. So we need to be the church, and we need to lead the revival, and we need to get on the same page with things that honor God and please God, right? Just like the children of Judah returned to their land and put all that stuff behind them. I don't know. Some of us maybe have to put some of this stuff behind us too, and we need to take a stand in our culture because that's why we're here. That is why we are here, to change the world. And I see this season for us creating an awakening, a unity, a passion, a repentance, a refinement. These are the things that God wants to do while we're here. That's his plan. And so we need to wake up and turn to God and we need to lead this thing. Here's the last thing on your outline. Babylon reminds us of our future. Reminds us of our future. We have a good future. You know, not every single person in Judah was actually taken exile to Babylon. There was a small group that was left. Um, one prominent name that you might recognize, Jeremiah, was actually one of the folks that was left. He was one of the prophets among many who prophesied. And he had remained in Jerusalem. And he was writing to these exiles in Babylon, right, during this time. And he was trying to remind them of something because, listen, this is a broken, defeated people, right, in, an, in a foreign land. And they needed encouragement and they need hope. And we do too. We need that same thing, don't we? I mean, I, I could ask for a show of hands. I'm guessing most of you need some encouragement and some hope this morning. The Bible has it. I want to share it with you. And I want to read you something. This is what Jeremiah said. Now, this verse I'm going to read, I, I say this is probably one of the most popular verses in Christian circles. You know, like f five out of ten homes probably have this scripture somewhere in their, above a kid's bed or in a family room or on a plaque, right? Very well-known scripture. Jeremiah 29, 11. In fact, most of you probably could quote it, right? I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope in the future. Fantastic promise. I want to start a verse earlier, and I want to read a chunk of five verses, and I want you to get the context of this full verse. Because I would venture to say maybe not everyone knows where the, where the scripture even came from. So let's start on verse 10, and let me read it to you. Thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil to give you future and a hope, then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and bring you back to the place from which I caused you to be carried away. I don't know if all of you knew that, but that scripture promise, they had to be in Babylon to get that promise. They weren't in their land when God promised them that. They were at the low, right? And, and if you notice something else, there's a pretty big premise to all this. And so I love that we take that promise, and I love that we capture it, and I believe it does apply to us. 
but if we're going to take the promise, let's take the premise. And the premise says to me, you will call upon me and pray to me and I will listen. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Right? And that is, the, that is what we are called to. But here's the thing. There's a hope and encouragement in this for this reason. I want to remind you something. The exile of Babylon only lasted 70 years. It was not very long. It certainly wasn't permanent. It was very temporary. And there was a hope and an encouragement that the people needed because they were in their little world. All they saw was what was in front of them. And Jeremiah says, no, 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 listen, there's more. A better day is coming. Right? This will be over. And God has a hope and a future for you. And this is my word to us in this culture with these challenges. And it's this, a better day is coming, church. A better day is coming. Our future is glorious. It is glorious. And we are not stuck here forever. In fact, the way the Bible speaks of this life that we're going through, it says things like, uh, these are light and momentary afflictions that are creating for us a greater glory. That's what it says. It tells us that God is in the process of refining us for the day when all this is over, that we will be with him forever in that day. And he will finish the work that he started in you and in me. Babylon is not permanent. It is not permanent. In fact, much like the people of uh, Judah return to their land, guess what? We also get to go to a land when this is all over. And ours is way better. It's way better. Babylon is spoken about even all the way through the very last chapters of the Bible. Revelation 18, we, we read about Babylon, right? And again, this, this system, this anti-God, anti-Christ system that rises up to make war against God and against Jesus, right? That Babylon is there all throughout the scriptures. And um, not a spoiler for most of you because you know, but hey, Babylon goes away. Babylon gets crushed, gets crushed by the Son of God, right? Jesus comes and he establishes his rule and reign and kingdom forever, and guess what? We are with him. We are with him. And this is what happens. Just like the, just like the children of Judah return to Jerusalem, you know, we're going we're gonna to go to Jerusalem too one day. I don't know if you guys know that. But if you read Revelation, you see this picture that there's a new Jerusalem comes down from heaven. Heaven and earth are one. And there's a city with every precious stone you can imagine. And the gates are made of pearls. And the streets are made of gold. And there's a river that flows through it. And there's one God, and he's in charge of all of it, and there's no bad stuff there. And we don't need a temple in that Jerusalem because the Bible says the Lamb of God is the temple. And we are with him forever. And I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, that, that's the future. That's what awaits us after Babylon is over. Amen. I mean, just take a minute. It is so, it's so hard to get your head around, but just take a minute and think of that day. Just think of that day that that happens. Mm. And we'll be with him forever. And he says, I'll be, their, I'll be their God and they'll be my people and I'll dwell with them forever. Not gonna be no worries about Babylon. In fact, I don't even know if we'll remember it. We'll have to talk about it when we get there. You know, do you remember Bab Babylon? What, Babylon? I don't, maybe, I don't, maybe, I'm not sure. Distant memory. And so we take courage and we take hope and we, we remind ourselves what God is doing in us and through us now because one day this won't be here anymore. We'll be on to bigger and better things. And so we take heart and we press on. Listen, Babylon was not the home of the, of the people of Judah. This world is not our home, right? We are, we're strangers in a foreign land. We're citizens of heaven is what the Bible says. And so we get reminded of that. And I pray, as we bring this to a close this morning, I pray that we would have spiritual eyes to see as we think about these things, why we're here, 
Why are we here? God, what are you doing? And that we would rely upon the power of his Holy Spirit to get through these challenges we're facing and and not just get through them. Listen, if we can get a hold of some of this stuff, we're not just gonna get by kind of navigating life in Babylon. We're gonna crush Babylon. We're gonna lead Babylon. I don't say that in a bad way. I mean, we're gonna crush it. We're gonna kill it here, right? We are gonna lead the culture to where it needs to go. And we're gonna do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I hope you believe that with me. And if you do, then I think we can all come together and agree that we can probably handle a few years of Babylon, right? You with me? Amen. Why don't we pray? Lord, we are thankful. We are thankful for the power of your presence in our lives. And we are thankful for your goodness. And we are thankful that you, God, have a plan and purpose in everything. Everything. Even while we live in this culture around us, you are working things for the good and you are you are doing glorious things that are gonna bring honor and glory to your name. And we thank you for that because our God is in control. Our God is in control. And so we submit and surrender ourselves to you, the King of Kings. Listen, if you're here this morning and you, um, maybe even individually, maybe you kind of feel like you're in a, a Babylon season in your life or, or a season that you're far from God or you're distant from God or you feel like, there's no direction. Listen, I want to tell you something. God has a purpose and plan for every single person in this room. Everyone. And I, I want to pray with you this morning. I want to identify with you if you're in that place or, you're, or you feel stirred that you're, something in your heart has to shift or you want to recommit something to God or renew some attitude or, or renew some commitment to God. If any of that applies to you, I want every, every head bowed. And if you want to do that, I just want you to slip your hand up real quick because I want to see you and I want to pray with you if that's you. Yeah, I see that hand. Any other hands? You just say, I want to respond to God's spirit. He's prompting me today. Another hand. Anyone else? Another hand. Yeah, hands going up everywhere. My hand's up. (laughs) Hands everywhere. I want to respond to the presence of God. Listen, I know God has more for me. (laughs) I know God has more for us. God, with with hands lifted, we respond to you. We, We fully accept what it is you're speaking to us this morning. We receive it. Lord, maybe, God, we we need to repent of some things, God, and we um we do that this morning. We repent of the attitudes and, and of the sins, God, of the things dragging us down. And our heart is to be like those people, God, that we're rebuilding, that we're, that we're recommitting to you. We want to we be those people today, God. Use us. <laughs> Empower us, Holy Spirit. Fall afresh upon us. Give us power from on high. Oh, we worship you, God. If you're here this morning, one more question. Um, if you want to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning, you know, I, I mentioned about chastening and judgment. Listen, the Bible says that actually all mankind was under God's judgment. But then something amazing happened. God sent his son, Jesus. And the ju- our judgment was upon him. And he has made a way for you to no longer be under the judgment of God, but to be called a son and daughter of God because of what Jesus did. And it's, a, it's the miracle of salvation. And if you're here this morning, and whether you've heard that before or not, um, doesn't matter. But if you want to respond to that and you want to make Jesus your Savior and your Lord, then this is what I want to do with every head bowed still. I want you to just look up at me and let your eyes meet mine or lift up your hands so I can see you just because I want to pray with you. So if that's you, you say, I want to respond to Jesus this morning. Just lift your head, let your eyes meet mine, and I want to pray with you this morning. If I don't see you, just slip up your hands. Is that what you want? Amen. God bless you. Anyone else over here? Over toward them. Is that what you want? Okay. 
looking to my right. Anyone else over here? Just let your eyes meet mine. Is that what you want? God bless you. Is that what you want? God bless you. Anyone else? Look, don't miss this opportunity. That I, Listen, I feel the presence of God here. I know he's speaking. If I don't see you, just slip up your hand real quick. I just want to make sure to connect with you. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. Is that what you want? God bless you. Is that what you want? God bless you. God bless you. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Anyone else? Is that what you want? God bless you. Spirit of God. Well, we have a harvest today, church. We're going to pray. We're going to join with these in prayer. Listen, those of you that lifted your eyes or, or your hands, we're going to pray together, all of us. And as you say these words, God's going to hear you and a miracle is going to happen. You're going to be forgiven of every sin you've ever committed. And the Spirit of God is going to come to actually dwell inside you. And you're going to be a child of God. And so this is the most exciting day of your life. <laughs> because you're being born again. So we're gonna pray church with these and let's pray. Dear God, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God who came to this earth and died for my sins and was buried and rose again. And Jesus, I put my faith in you and I thank you for the forgiveness of every sin I've ever committed. Help me God to follow you from now on. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Yeah. Amen. Amen. Listen, in a moment, we're going to have the ushers come forward to receive offering, and we're going to continue in a time of response and worship. If you did that this morning, a couple things. If you're new this morning, or if you've received Christ, or you've recommitted, or any of that, would you take out the connection card in your bulletin and just fill it out? and drop it in the, uh, in the offering basket as it goes around. We have a gift we want to send you, and we just want to connect with you. So if you would do that, uh, we would appreciate it. And if you did respond to that gospel call, I'll be over here at this table after service, and I'll, I have a Bible for you. If you want one, I want to pray with you and talk to you and, and start you on that journey. And, uh, and what a blessed day it is. Well, we're going to receive offering, and, and listen, we're going to take a couple moments and just worship God. Okay, we're going to respond to his presence this morning and, and honor him. God, we thank you now for this opportunity to give. Bless gift and giver. Use these gifts for your kingdom and receive these as our, our worship to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <laughs>